Hear the word of the Lord, a prayer of David when he was in the cave. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Well, good morning. 22 years ago, we were living in Portland for a time, Portland area. Our fourth child was on the way. I had no job. I picked up a little custodial work, trying to do a little counseling on the side. But I was pretty desperate. I was scrambling in between pastorates, trying to figure out what God wanted. Heard about an opportunity, checked it out, jumped at the first chance I had to get into this ministry. And right away, Jeannie and I were very aware that this was not a good fit. For two years, we really struggled there at that place. Twenty years ago, I heard about an opening at Cole Community Church. It was in Nevada at the time. So I wrote a letter to David Roper. said, I hear you have an opening. I'm interested. He graciously wrote back and said, Thanks, but no thanks. We've already filled the position. At that point, I kind of hit bottom. I felt trapped. Stuck in a place I didn't want to be. Discouraged. Trapped. Stuck. Can you relate? Have you been in a position like that? David certainly could. (laughs) David was anointed king by Samuel. He defeated Goliath. He'd become the leader of Saul's army. He'd become the singer of the court who was the only one who could calm King Saul down when he was tormented by an evil spirit. Things were going well. Then Saul became jealous, turned on him, tried to kill him. David was forced to flee. His wife lied about him, blamed him. He began looking for refuge, somewhere to feel safe and secure. He ran to the priests, 
But they were surprised to see him and this was not a good situation. He ended up lying to the priests to get some food and a sword, the sword of Goliath. Ran from there, didn't know where to go, so he decided to run out of Israel to the enemy territory. He ran to Gath where the king of Gath of the Philistines was there, where Goliath of Gath came from as he's carrying Goliath's sword. Not the smartest move. <laughs> they recognized him, arrested him. He didn't know what to do in his panic. He acted crazy, slobbered all over himself, scribbled on the doorposts, and the king said, Look it, I have you guys. I have enough madmen. <laughs> I don't need another one. Get him out of here. He ran for his life. Now he didn't know where to go. Headed back into Israel territory, about halfway to where Saul was, and there he came to the cave of Adullam. God is birthing a new kingdom, the Davidic kingdom. Beautiful picture of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom where God wants David to lead out of dependence on him, not self-dependence. But David had to end up in this cave. He had to be in a place where he had nowhere else to turn. He had to come to the end of himself so he could be made into the king that God could use to build his kingdom. And that's God's plan for every one of us in this room. You see, if we're going to be used to build God's kingdom, if we are going to be the people that God can use to change lives, to reign in life, we've got to go to the cave. We've got to be broken. We've got to come to the end of ourselves as well. So God, in his grace and love, takes us to the cave of Adullam. This cave is the turning point in David's life. And it can also be the turning point in our lives. Pray with me. Lord, we can so identify with David as we, in our own lives, scramble to try to make life work our way, to come up with our own plans, to figure it out, to fix things. Thank you that like David, you take us to the cave where we come to the end of ourselves and have nowhere to turn but to you. Lord, as we look at this story together, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us by the power of your Spirit that we might learn what you are doing in our lives when you take us to the cave and we might learn to move from self-dependence to God-dependence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How God births a kingdom. How he makes kings and queens that can reign in life. That's our theme today. I want to look at five words from this text. Five words that describe how God births a kingdom. First word is brokenness. Brokenness. Now this cave of Adullam, it's about four miles from the valley of Elah where David had killed Goliath. It's about seven miles from Bethlehem where David grew up, 
where he was a shepherd and he'd scoured these hills with his sheep. He knew this area. He had been to Adullam before. He knew this cave. And it's about 12 miles from Jerusalem and near there where Saul, his enemy, was. David found this cave and he went into hiding. In 1994, shortly after I came to Cole, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for the first time with three other pastors and a professor, college professor, Bruce Walkey. We decided that our main goal in going to Israel was to find the cave of Adullam. We had been mesmerized by the story of David and how God took him to the cave and how God changed his life in that cave. So we decided we wanted to find it. Now, if you go to Israel today, there are signs that can give you some direction on where it is, but in 1994, there were no signs. We did have a topographical map with the cave of Adullam marked on it. So we started hiking over the hills trying to figure out where it was. We found a cave. No, that wasn't it. And we looked and looked until we found the cave of Adullam. It was on the back side of a wooded hill. Let me show you what the hill looked like. Interesting hill. It's in the foothills. But from this hill, from the front side of the hill, you can look and you can see all the way to Bethlehem, some seven miles away. You can even see Jerusalem, some 12 miles away. It's a great place to look around and know if your enemy is coming. But on the back side of this hill is a tiny little entrance. Looks like this. It's tiny. You have to basically crawl into this cave. It's well hidden in the rocks and the bushes. You have to crawl into this cave to get inside. This is what it looks like inside looking out the entrance. But once you get inside, it opens up into actually several caverns. It says 400 men were there with David. We'll see that in a moment. Here's what it looks like inside. Just gives you a picture of one of the caverns, how many people can be in there gathered together. A place of a fairly large area. And so the five of us were there. We set up a camera and took a picture. This is the five of us in the cave. Kind of a scary, beady-eyed young man in front there. <laughs> and in that cave, we read several psalms that were written by David in that cave where his life began to change. This morning I want to look at Psalm 142, which has already been read to you, but we're going to spend the next few moments looking at it because this psalm reveals David's struggles and what God was teaching him through this time in the cave. First couple of verses again say this, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. Again, Psalm 142. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare my trouble before Him. Notice in those first couple verses, David uses several terms. I cry out. I make supplication. I beg. <laughs> I pour out my complaint like water. I'm hurting. And he pours it out like water. He says, I declare my trouble. David is struggling. As he's in this cave, as he has nowhere else to turn, it's a difficult time. And he, he at this point in these first couple of verses, can't even talk to God. 
Notice he speaks in the third person in these first two verses to God. He speaks about God. Eight times in these two verses, he uses the first person, I, me, my. He's hurting. He's self-absorbed. He's feeling intense, personally attacked. You see, when we're being broken of our self-dependence and stripped of all our resources, we will often feel frustrated and distant from God because we're hurting so much and we don't understand. That's where David was. You can relate. Those hard times, that pain. But then notice where he goes in verses 3 and 4. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Now literally, it's when my spirit fainted within me. When I passed out because I was hurting so bad internally, I couldn't even stand it anymore. You knew my path. I think this is a complaint. God, you knew what I was going through. I'm, I was dying inside. Where, where were you? In the way where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Then he says, look to the right and see. To the right, where where friends should be, where our strengths should be, where those who are helping us should be on our right. He says, look, there's no one who even considers me. There is no escape for me. I am utterly trapped. No one cares for my soul. God, you knew about it when my spirit fainted, when I gave way. You didn't do something. I feel trapped. No one is here for me. I can't get out of this mess. I am stuck. No one even cares about my soul. Have you been there? The end of yourself where you're struggling? David has hit bottom. He's feeling totally alone. Trapped, abandoned by everyone, by his family, Saul, even his own wife. He's broken. But then he makes an amazing declaration in verses 5 through 7, where he says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, in the midst of that mess, when he was totally broken, he took an act of faith. He made an act of faith to God, and he declares, he says, you're my refuge. This is what God has been trying to teach him all along. You are my refuge, my portion, my longing, what I need to survive on, my portion, my inheritance, my daily bread. You are my portion in the land of the living. You see, David has turned from trying to find refuge in the priests, in King Akish of Gath in his own efforts, in a sword, in whatever. And now he realizes nothing is my refuge except God himself. There's nothing I really need or want except God himself. He's my portion. So he says, give heed to my cry for I am brought very low. You deliver me from my persecutors for they're too strong for me. I can't deal with this, Lord. I cannot fix it. I've tried. I'm desperate. So he says, 
Deliver me from my per- persecutors. In other words, deal with my outward situation. And then he says, bring my soul out of prison so I may give thanks to your name. He says, and inwardly I'm imprisoned. I'm struggling. I can't even deal with my own heart and soul. So bring my soul out of prison. Bring me to a place where I can again give thanks to you, to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. He's made a huge realization here in the bottom of the pit in this dark, stinky cave. I've hit bottom. I have no resources left to handle this situation, but God, you are my refuge, my portion. You're what I long for. You're my inheritance. So he puts his trust in God in this cave. The cave of Adullam. Adullam means refuge. This is the cave of refuge. As many of you know, my son and his wife Grace, Josh and Grace, he's on staff here, had a baby last summer, and they named their daughter Adaliah from this root, Adulam, same Hebrew root, A-D-L, Adulam, Adaliah. Adaliah means Yahweh is refuge. Yahweh is my refuge. That's what we need to learn. That's what God's teaching us. David has had to learn that. You and I have to learn that. I don't know what kind of cave you're in today. If you're not in one, you will be. Because it's how God works. It it might be your job, it might be school struggles, it might be a roommate situation, it might be a spouse, a marriage that you feel trapped in, it might be a job you feel trapped in and just want to leave, or maybe you're out of work. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. But we all end up in a cave. It feels awful, but it's a cave of refuge where God meets us, like he did David. Do you feel like David? Like God's stripping away all your supports? Don't fight it. (laughs) It's God's grace toward you to free you up so you can learn to find him as your refuge. So you can learn to depend on him alone. That's the first key to birthing a kingdom, to setting us free to begin to reign with him is brokenness. Second word we see in this passage is the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. The last part of verse 1, chapter 22, 1 Samuel, says this, He escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. Now this is really profound. Because if you think about it, David is alienated from his family up to this point. He relates this in Psalm 27, verse 9 and 10. I want to read that in a moment, but just let's place the context. Remember, David's had a tough time in his family. Remember when Samuel came to Jesse's family and said, God had told him, one of your sons is going to be king. So Jesse paraded all seven of the older sons before 
Samuel, and Samuel said, It's none of these. And Samuel said, Are there any more? And essentially, Jesse said, Well, there's the brat out in the field with the sheep. You really want him to come? Samuel said, Go get him. He's the one. When David brought food for his brothers who were on the front lines fighting the Philistines and they were being challenged by Goliath and David shows up, his older brother Eliab, the oldest, chastises David. What are you doing here, you little brat? You just want to see what's going on in the battle. He rips into him. See, that's the kind of relationship David had with his family. And he talks about this in Psalm 27. Notice verse 9 and 10. He cries out to God, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my, mother, my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me up. Notice his cry in verse 9. He says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn away in shame from me. Why does he ask God not to do that? I think because his parents had. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Why does he plead with God not to treat him with anger? I think because his parents had. Then he says, don't abandon me. Don't neglect me. Don't abandon me and leave me without any help. Don't forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have abandoned me. He had experienced incredible pain in his family. But it says, (laughs) in this cave, his brothers and his parents showed up. (laughs) Wow. Wow. They're running from Saul because Saul, when he got mad at somebody, he'd kill everybody related to them. That was his way. And they knew they were in danger and they didn't know where to go. Saul can't find David in the wilderness, but his whole family could. (laughs) And they show up at the cave of Adullam. David now has a choice. He had to have some pain in his family. He clearly did. He wrote about it in Psalm 27. There's deep pain there. But now David has a choice. Now, we might have said, go find another cave. (laughs) This is mine. Go take care of yourselves in his hurt and his resentment. But he doesn't do that. David embraces them and takes them in. And as we'll see in a moment, he protects them and finds a place of safety for them. This is a moment of healing and a moment of reconciliation that God has given David, an opportunity to forgive. You see, the kingdom gets birthed when we are broken, but then we, in our key relationships, even the people who have caused our brokenness, we're given opportunity to forgive them. That's how God births the kingdom. He, he takes us to a place where we have an opportunity to forgive those who have hurt us. God makes us kings and queens able to reign in life 
by giving us opportunities to forgive those who have hurt us. I've talked about some of my struggles in my relationship with my own dad, and I'd worked through a lot of them, but God, in his amazing grace, as my parents became ill, they came to live with us, and we have the opportunity to minister to them. And at that point, I had a tremendous opportunity given by God to simply love my dad, serve him, give to him in his time of need. And I thank the Lord for that opportunity to just bring a deeper kind of healing to my own heart and to our relationship. But folks, if we hold on to resentment toward those who have hurt us, it's like rust. It just begins to eat away your own soul. Begins to destroy your own soul. George Washington Carver said, Hatred destroys the hater. Not the other person. (laughs) We're encouraged to do the kingly thing and forgive. Even if the person doesn't deserve it, even if they haven't apologized, we can still forgive. Maybe we can't reconcile, but we can forgive. So our hearts are free. I've quoted it many times. I'll say it again. It's worth repeating. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. How dumb is that? (laughs) When you hang on to resentment, it's like taking poison and then waiting for the other person to die as your life slowly ebbs away. That's what resentment does. So what does David do? He forgives. How is a kingdom birthed? How are kings and queens made? Brokenness, forgiveness, and then thirdly, community. God begins to create a community, make us part of a community where we can serve and love one another. Now David feels totally alone. We've seen that in this cave. His family shows up. And then in verse 2, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who is discontented, literally bitter of soul. Everyone in the kingdom who was bitter of soul, ticked off about life, angry, resentful, showed up, (laughs) gathered to him, and he became captain over them, and there were now about 400 men with him. You know, if they'd started coming into my cave with me, I think I would be going, God, couldn't you pick some other people? (laughs) You know, if we were choosing a cabinet or somebody to be part of a kingdom with us, it probably wouldn't be these guys. And yet, this is exactly whom God has chosen to be part of his new kingdom, the Davidic kingdom. A bunch of messed up people who are squeezed by circumstances They're in debt, financial problems. They're bitter of soul. They're angry. This is a tough group. But they do have one thing in common. And in common with David, they know life is not working for him. (laughs) That's a great place to be. That's the kind of person God says, I want you in my kingdom. 
Yeah, you're a mess. Perfect. Come on in. I want you in my kingdom. David Roper writes, and by the way, we studied Psalm 142. I found out this morning, someone told me that in Our Daily Bread today, it's a commentary by David Roper on Psalm 142. You might want to read it. (laughs) He writes here, It was a threatened and threatening crowd that found David, (laughs) full of their own troubles, frightened, faint-hearted, stressed out, burdened, and embittered by what they had endured. David took them in, all of them, and taught them what God had taught him through years of adversity and pain. He read his poems. He sang of God's covenant love, and he taught them to fight the battles of the Lord. These outcasts found a new center of life in David, and he in turn became their prince. Jesus calls us, no matter how messed up we are, (laughs) he calls us in our brokenness to come to him. Are you struggling? Are you broken by life? Are you bitter of soul? Maybe this is your come to Jesus moment. Come to Jesus. You are the very ones he wants in his kingdom. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. <laughs> but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God loves to choose weak, shamed, struggling people. Those are the ones that are welcome in his kingdom, and he creates a community there. And folks, this is the church. I know looking out there, we clean up pretty well. But this is us. It's us. That's who Jesus calls struggling people who are discontented, who are broken, who are bitter of soul, he calls us to be his church. Not a bunch of perfect together people, but a community of ragamuffins. Needy beggars who have come together to share new life in Christ out of their brokenness. So God brings broken people, leads them to forgiveness, leads them into community together. And then the fourth word, ministry. David now has an opportunity to love his family in the midst of this, verse 3 and 4. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So David now has an opportunity not just to forgive his family but to minister to them, to take them to a place where they can be secure and safe. So he chooses Moab. Now why Moab? It's it's another enemy of Israel. Why would he go there? Is he just running away again? No. No. 
Now, the king of Moab might be willing to help because he's an enemy of Saul and he knows David's running from Saul, perhaps. And so he says, sure, you can keep your parents here. But I think there's a deeper reason. Who was David's great-grandmother? Remember? Ruth. Ruth was from where? Moab. His father, Jesse, is there. And his grandmother was Ruth. And so they have family ties in Moab. And so David thinks of a place where they'll be safe, where they have family to connect with. And he takes them there and it becomes a place of refuge. Just like it was a place of refuge for Naomi in the book of Ruth and her family when there was a famine in Israel. Now it becomes a place of refuge for David's family again. You see, when God is birthing a kingdom, he moves us from brokenness to forgiveness to community and then gives us the opportunity to minister to others. Often those same ones who have hurt us in his brilliance. But we have the opportunity to share the very life of Christ with others that he's poured into us so we can learn to love each other as well and And this grows out of our newfound dependence on him. We've all experienced this. You know, when you go through a hard time and it's especially difficult, you don't know if you're going to make it and you get through this hard time and all of a sudden God brings people into your life that are going through what you just went through or something similar. And you have an opportunity to encourage them. That's God's way. That's how he builds the kingdom of God. He puts us in the cave and then as We're beginning to move out. He gives us other people who are in caves so we can walk with them in their distress and their aloneness so we can be a community together learning to love one another. Ministry. It's how God builds a kingdom. And then the fifth word, the last word, danger. (laughs) Danger. Notice verse 5. The prophet Gad said to David, Don't stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hareth. So David's hiding in the stronghold. We don't know exactly where that was, the stronghold. That word is the same word as Masada. It's the same word. So he could have been hiding in the place where the Jews hid out in this, when the Romans were after them over a thousand years later, but we, we don't know. It may have been just some stronghold. It was probably in Moab somewhere. But God sends his prophet Gad. Now, I don't know if Gad was one of the ones that was in debt or in bitter of soul or whatever, but this is the prophet of God. He's hurting. He joins David, and then God speaks to him, and God says, don't stay where it's safe, David. Go back to Judah where Saul can chase you again. Go back to danger. And you may be going like me, why would God do that? Why does God send us right back into danger to build his kingdom? Why would God send him right where Saul can get him? Why? Because God isn't done with him yet. We don't learn to be part of God's kingdom. We don't learn to be broken just once for all and then it's done. 
It's an ongoing process. We need to learn to walk more deeply with God. David had many more psalms to write. You, you and I have a lot more growing to do. So God puts us back in danger, calls us back to where we can go deeper with him, where we can learn to forgive even more deeply, where we can learn what community is like and learn to love one another, where we can learn to share our lives with others and share his life in ministry to one another because he's not done with us yet. You see, for David to be useful in God's kingdom, God brought him to the cave where he could learn to be poor in spirit, as Jesus said. And in that cave, a new kingdom was birthed. A thousand years later, in another cave, a new kingdom was birthed. As the God, the creator of heaven and earth, came and was born as a helpless baby in a cave. God humbled himself to be born in a cave some seven miles from the cave of Adullam. And then, as Jesus grew and ministered, when he hit bottom, when he was broken, when he was forsaken by all those with him, even his own heavenly Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried on the cross. He was laid in another cave, a tomb. But in that tomb, in that cave, a new kingdom was birthed as God raised him from the dead. And now we are all part of that kingdom. David Roper again says, Some come to this place, this cave, in dire distress, worn out by worry and fear. Others come burdened with debt, owing much to many. Others are downcast by an unhappy childhood, a failed marriage, a cruel death that snatched love away. Still others come starved for want of something they cannot name. But there they find a prince who sings to them in their misery and weakness, who tells his stories and strengthens them with his love. Out of death comes resurrection and life. Out of the cave comes new birth. I don't like caves. <laughs> caves are dark. They're scary. They're smelly. They're silent. But you know what? God likes caves. <laughs> and caves are still how God births his kingdom in every one of us. He takes us to a cave that's dark and silent and we're alone where there's nowhere to turn but to him. Where all self-dependence gets stripped away and there he begins to rebuild a new kingdom where we've learned to depend on him. Where he can create a people who live by brokenness, who live by forgiveness, who live by community, who learn to love one another in the midst of a dangerous, difficult world. So 20 years ago, as I said, I was in Nevada at this ministry and it was tough and I wanted to leave and I felt trapped. 
But that next year, God really worked in my heart. I was learning out of that brokenness and feeling trapped to depend on him in a deeper way. And God began to open doors. And yes, circumstances didn't change, but God changed me. And a year later, I was at a pastor's conference in Canada and I get a message that David Roper had called me. And I'm thinking, how did he even find me in Canada? Called him back. He said, hey, a spot has opened up here at Cole and you know, we think you might be the guy. And by then I was ready to move on. I felt God was calling me to move on from that cave to somewhere else. As he had taught me some things, I have much to learn still. But it was a beautiful picture to me of how God uses those things to change us so that we can be ready to be used by him in this new kingdom that we are part of. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this example of David. We can relate. We scramble to make life work and we try everything ourselves and finally come to a place where we're at the end of ourselves and we're broken and it's there, Lord, that you in that cave meet us and help us see that you are our refuge, you are our portion, you are what we long for. We thank you that you love us enough to put us in the cave. May we respond to you and learn to trust you as our life, as our refuge as all that we long for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.